0: Calls for accountability. Words have to turn into action. Going beyond apologies to try to right a devastating wrong.
1: The grounds that I walked in, probably there were corpses under my feet.
0: Finding the missing children.
1: Who builds a school with a cemetery attached?
2: Well, the Canadian government does so and, and did so.
0: The technology unearthing the staggering scope of the residential school tragedy. And the surprising sight of Vancouver's one and only Stanley Cup victory. Its official name was the arena. Why so few know about it and how they never got to lift the trophy.
3: You're watching Global BC.
2: This is Global News Hour at six.
0: Good evening and thanks for joining us. Chris is off tonight we begin tonight with calls for someone to be held accountable after the discovery of a graveyard of children at the former kamloops residential school criminal charges are unlikely because of the time that has passed aaron macarthur reports on the other possibilities and a warning some of the details in this story are disturbing and may be triggering
1: my time there was um, often it was lonely we were hungry We were afraid.
4: It's been more than four decades since Sahiltut left the Kambaloops Indian Residential School. He will never forget the cruelty.
1: It's caused many nightmares throughout my life until I found the healing road. Like literally nightmares in the night when I go to sleep.
4: And while people across the country are paying tribute to the hundreds of children who have been discovered in unmarked graves... Indigenous leaders want more than memorials. Many are calling for institutions to be held accountable for decades of abuse and neglect.
5: The government itself cannot be relied upon to end its injustices to First Nations children and to act properly for residential school survivors.
4: Politicians have apologized. And as Prime Minister, I am appalled. Justin Trudeau has asked the Catholic Church to do the same without success. Six years after the final report from the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, none of the recommendations dealing with children and burial information are complete. The Residential School Survivor Society says the way forward is through tangible action. There is funding in the federal budget for more searches at more institutions, but beyond that, what's needed is actual improvement in the lives of Indigenous people.
5: It should be as simple as ensuring that there is clean drinking water for every single community out there, that there is a, um, housing that where the houses aren't falling apart. The last
4: residential school in B.C. closed in 1984. Some have been destroyed, some preserved, one turned into a hotel and casino. Reconciliation will need to start by
6: listening to communities. I, I don't think uh, full accountability compensation, contrition, repair can never be achieved. But what can be achieved is at least a beginning.
4: At least 3,000 children died at the hands of the residential school system. According to scholars, the number is likely twice that. Many in unmarked graves.
1: I've seen and uh, I know of many of my cohort that didn't survive you know, that experience. And that's that's incredibly sad. Aaron McCrack. Global News.
0: Green MLA Adam Olson delivered a very passionate message about how the discovery in Kamloops has impacted him personally. He says his own grandparents and great aunts and uncles were survivors of the Cooper Island Residential School on Vancouver Island.
6: I know that they'd
7: want me here today honoring the horrors that they lived through by demanding accountability for them. For 30 years, those stories have been hushed. Our relatives have been told that Canadians and British Columbians don't want to hear their stories.
6: They've been told to stop lying. They've been told to stop embellishing.
7: This is the trauma our families have carried for generations.
0: Well, the horrifying discovery came from a survey of the Kamloops Residential School grounds by a private firm using ground-penetrating radar. John Hua takes a look at just how that technology works and the kind of data it can provide.
8: This is the technology tied to the heartbreaking truth. Ground-penetrating radar, or GPR, used to locate the grave sites of hundreds of Indigenous children buried under the earth of the Kamloops Residential School.
2: These school plans included cemeteries. Uh, Who builds a school with a cemetery attached? Well, the Canadian government does so and and did so.
8: GeoScan was not part of the project in Kamloops, but the company has helped with many archeological investigations with First Nations groups in the past.
4: It's important for us to be a part of that process and lend our expertise and make sure that a full comprehensive Surveys is performed.
8: But as useful as this technology might be, GeoScan says it's important to understand its limitations. GPR, magnetometry and even electromagnetic conductivity doesn't work like an X-ray. While it can help determine depth, shape and size, there is still much that remains secret beneath the soil.
9: It's not going to give you a black and white answer, but it's going to pinpoint to the right direction most of the time. It's not an exact uh, survey.
8: While some conclusions can be drawn from the data, experts in the field say there's only one way to get 100% certainty.
9: You would have to dig, you would have to do a proper investigation. Nothing will uh, essentially um, give you better
5: results than daylighting.
8: As for the gut-wrenching discovery at the Kamloops Residential School, Strong supportive evidence may have come from survivors like Gerald Etienne.
5: There's
10: a, a story of another gravesite beside the gym over here in that parking
8: lot. There's supposed to be a, There were stories of gravesites there. Experts say GPR is often seen as a starting point. What's needed next for truth, reconciliation, and closure, is a decision that can only be made by those closest to this tragedy. John Hua, Global News.
0: Well, trying to exhume and identify the remains at the former residential school site could take months or even years if the Tkemloops Te First Nation decides to go that route. Ted Chernecki reports on what that effort could look like.
3: No matter who you talk to, this will have to be driven by the families of those buried here. Forensic anthropologists won't touch a site without full consent and a desire to have the child's remains identified and possibly returned to their rightful family. The
11: identification process is still complicated and long and requires a, a massive amount of um, organization, cooperation and uh, information.
3: She has worked at massive grave sites worldwide. The projects are incredibly complicated, time-consuming, and expensive. And there's a distinction between a mass grave, as often found in war zones, and a common grave, which hopefully is the case in Kamloops.
11: The individuals would each be laid out within their own um, defined area, rather than being commingled and laying on top of each other.
3: Now other First Nations are calling for the full investigation into all residential schools and their burial policies, as promised in the Truth and Reconciliation Commission report six years ago. That report detailed the physical and sexual abuse of Native children where an estimated 3,200 of them died from tuberculosis, malnutrition, other diseases, and unknown reasons
12: this really speaks to the need for Canada to put in place
11: a proper framework to address the issue of mass graved unmarked or unrecorded
0: deaths and to follow you know what the survivors have been saying for some time.
3: If First Nations do decide to exhume in Kamloops it would start with establishing a perimeter of the gravesite using ground penetrating radar. Once surface soil is removed it would be a slow meticulous operation by hand documenting every little detail is paramount. In her experience, 90% of families want the remains of their loved ones returned.
11: And sometimes they'll see something on the teeth, or there'll be a bump on the head, or there'll be something on the the body that they remember happening. That they remember, oh yeah, he, he fell off his bike, and he chipped his front tooth.
3: It could take years to get consensus to dig or not to dig, then it would be a very long process to actually remove the bodies and identify each one through school data records, if they even exist, dental records, and DNA. Ted Cherneck, Global News.
0: Well, to commemorate the victims and survivors of the residential school system, kids and teachers from across B.C. are putting on their orange shirts this week. The walk-ins are a stand in solidarity with Indigenous staff and students. Government buildings and schools around the province have also lowered flags to half-mast. And the powerful displays of 215 empty pairs of shoes and unattended teddy bears are now showing up in many public spaces.
7: It's a mourning, it's a grieving process for us today, and not just today for all of Canada.
8: Nothing ever has been
13: brought to light like this. I mean, we know it, we live it as Indigenous people. It's not surprising to us, but it's so vindicating to have it finally be shared publicly and have this real light be shined. The B.C.
0: Teachers Federation says while students already learn about the residential school system in class, more needs to be done to further incorporate indigenous history and culture into the curriculum. Turning to the COVID-19 situation in our province now, we have 708 new cases. That's for three days since last Friday, bringing BC's total to 144,289, with 2,953 of those cases currently active. Hospital numbers are down with 249 patients, 78 of them in the ICU. And while those numbers are all very good, Sadly, we have lost 11 more people to complications of the virus. Keith Albury joins us live in Victoria now. Uh, Keith, Manitoba today announced it will be mixing and matching vaccines Mm. for those who got AstraZeneca. So what did health officials say today about what might happen here in B.C.?
1: Yeah, the official announcement comes on Thursday, but Dr. Bonnie Henry dropping some pretty broad hints today. We're likely to be following suit. The vast majority of people really aren't affected by this. More than 2 million people got Pfizer. 72% of all the vaccinations are Pfizer. And we've got a lot of Pfizer. 580,000 and more uh, got Moderna. And we don't get Moderna as nearly as much as Pfizer. And 275,000 people got uh, AstraZeneca. And we're not uh, supplying any more first doses uh, because we don't have any uh, on the horizon coming in. Dr. Henry, today talking about mixing and matching and potentially also the massive amount of second doses that are about to hit us in the hundreds of thousands.
5: It will be no surprise to people um, that there will be options. People will have a choice and we just need to formulate uh, the the risk benefit um, in a way that people can understand and we're also looking at the logistics and operationally how will this work in our system. The second doses will be coming much quicker. We booked appointments for close to half a million people for second doses in the next few weeks. So yes, there's a broad group of people. Everybody's um, timeline now to your second dose will be compressed and everybody will get their second dose in the coming months.
1: So we've been inoculating about 60,000 people a day, almost entirely with first doses, Sophie. But that's going to change, as Dr. Bonnie Henry says, to a massive amount of second doses. In fact, we'll probably have more second doses on many days than first doses going forward.
0: All right. Looking forward to mine. Thanks, Keith. Well, thanks to the pandemic, high school grad ceremonies in B.C. were all but lost last year. And there are fears the same could happen for the class of 2021. As Richard Zussman reports, students and parents are hoping the province can make an adjustment to the restart plan to help end a difficult year on a high note.
10: It's a rite of passage for most teenagers, a high school graduation and prom. And with COVID-19 restrictions expected to ease in June... I hope these ceremonies could have some semblance of normal.
14: I'm just hoping we feel kind of appreciated. You know, it's been a hard year.
8: I think I would say there's about 200 grads at our school, and to feel connected for the first time in over a year would just be special.
10: But things aren't looking great for that connection. Many ceremonies are expected to be reduced in size, distanced, and in some cases there won't be proms at all.
14: I know that uh, that the way that graduation is rolling out this year is not what um, this year's grade twelves were were hoping for. Some parents have a
10: suggestion. With outdoor events expected to be larger by July first, they're asking the province to consider allowing outdoor, independently organized proms by late June to be more than a hundred people.
15: If we go by the current guidelines,
11: we would have to do very small gatherings um, outside, and we couldn't celebrate. The way we
5: want to. There are lots of really uh, great, important, uh, innovative ways we can celebrate graduation this year, um, certainly outside within the restrictions that we have.
10: This year's graduating class missed out on high school sports, big drama shows, band trips, and now a normal grad. So the other hope is for those that have been immunized, they could have larger celebrations.
0: There's a lot of people that you know don't follow the rules or stuff, But they get the
15: same things as people that do follow the rules. So there's kind of that thing where like, well, I have been following the rules because I've been waiting. So when is my reward finally coming?
8: If there's an incentive for people to get vaccinated, to have a grad, I think you'd have people at at every vaccination centre.
10: And although the province wouldn't say if this is being considered, it's something potentially not just good for grads, but good for everyone. Richard Zosman, Global News, Victoria.
0: While well, thousands of workers will be getting a raise tomorrow, the minimum wage is set to go up. Who stands to profit and the one group not eligible for the pay hike in just over a minute? Crowds make a comeback in the United States. The push to keep vaccinating as Americans inch back to normal life later. And coastal cleanup. More than 100 tons of trash collected so far. How this massive undertaking is made possible because of the pandemic. Right now, the workers in BC who earn the minimum wage will get a raise tomorrow and a relatively large one for some. BC's minimum wage will be the highest of any province, but as Amadagahi reports, the hospitality industry says the raise couldn't come at a worse time and even supporters say some workers have been left out.
6: It was promised by the NDP in 2017 at this coffee shop in North Vancouver. And starting tomorrow, more than 120,000 minimum wage workers in B.C. will see an update
8: on their pay stub. These changes are important anytime, but also especially important this year when many of B.C.'s minimum wage earners have been essential workers during the pandemic. To give businesses a fair
6: chance to keep up, the province staggered increases each year, bringing minimum wage up $3.85 over the course of their tenure. And for the first time, minimum wage requirements will now include B.C. liquor servers at restaurants and pubs. The problem in that industry is something else entirely. The
7: average pub or bar is in before times
6: only makes about 5% profit. So when we have to increase
7: wages, that has to come from somewhere. Right? So it actually ends up either putting up prices for consumers or in an industry that's been losing money for um, the past year and a half. Uh, it just makes us go deeper into debt.
6: Meanwhile, in these fields, not every low-income worker is paid hourly. The minimum wage for farm workers is not going to be increased um,
7: and they're not covered by the hourly minimum wage. And so this is a major concern for us.
6: Labour advocates want the government to focus more of its attention on fair working conditions for low-earning farm workers, oftentimes Indo-Canadian women who are paid by what they pick. And not compensated extra for working overtime
7: or on holidays. It's a discriminatory, uh, in our view, it's a racist uh, policy which has been around for, you know, 30, 40 years and, and needs to be corrected.
6: We asked the Labour Minister whether what's called the peace rate for those farm workers may be replaced so they can earn minimum wage. Uh, so uh, that is a very complex area. So while some workers, with what can be called good jobs, enjoy a top-up in their hourly wage. The average liquor server in British Columbia makes over
7: $20 an hour with tips, so minimum wage is not a a relevant consideration for them.
6: Others could be left behind. Emma Global News.
0: Well, with summer ahead, experts say the heat is on, employment scams, and criminals are taking advantage during COVID. More than half of last year's victims were seeking work-from-home gigs, and now students are being urged to walk out for fake job postings. Our Consumer Matters reporter, Andrew, is here with more.
16: And Thanks, Sophie. With many restaurants and businesses reducing their operations or shutting down, fewer workers may be needed. The Better Business Bureau says fraudsters are targeting 25- to 34-year-olds who are desperate for summer jobs. Jobs to pay for school in the fall. Here are the red flags to watch out for. In 2020, 65% of job scam victims fell for titles like warehouse redistribution coordinator or remote job. Beware of postings with headlines like high pay and flexible working opportunity. Also, watch out for positions advertised as customer service representative, secret shopper, or administrative assistant. In many cases, scammers impersonate retailers like Amazon and Walmart to appear legitimate.
17: Scammers know that there are limited summer jobs available. And so because of that, they're going to be maximizing on that opportunity by pretending to be recruiters and putting out sophisticated employment scams where they might create elaborate websites. And in some instances, they might even be contacting students that have posted their resumes saying that, hey, we have, we saw your resume. We think you're an attractive candidate. We want to work with you. Let's start right
3: away.
16: Also, avoid opportunities that want you to start immediately with no interview or vetting process. If an employment ad is for a known company, check the company website to see if the job is posted there. If not, do not apply. Be cautious with your social insurance number and banking information. Legitimate companies will not overpay an employee or ask for money to be wired. Get contracts in writing when accepting a new job. Your duties, pay, and hours of work should all be on paper. Now, if you believe you've been victimized and your social insurance number was shared, reach out to Service Canada to report your SIN number being compromised. If your banking details were shared in an overpayment scam, for example, contact your financial institution so they can issue a new bank account number and new credit card information if required. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can email me at consumermatters@globalnews.ca. at globalnews.ca.
0: All right. Thanks for that, Ann. Still to come, a disorder that starts with women's hormones but affects so much more.
16: You're ending up with diabetes. You're ending up with, you know, additional hirsutism issues with excess of hair growth.
0: The lifelong condition that can have a serious impact. But first, after a break, a VPD
14: officer on trial for sexual assault. The Massey Tunnel is picking up a bit of extra volume tonight as drivers avoid the major crash on Highway 91 and Number 7 Road in Richmond. Through a new charitable partnership between Kermat Cares for Kids and Surrey Memorial Hospital, when you choose Kermat Collision and Autoglass, you also support the Surrey Memorial Children's Health Center. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center.
0: A Vancouver police officer appeared in court today on a charge of sexual assault. The officer accused of an alleged attack in Whistler in July of 2019. As Grace Key reports, the alleged victim is also a VPD officer.
14: The first person to take the stand was the VPD female officer behind the sexual assault allegations against Jagraj Roger Barar. Now several Vancouver police officers went to Whistler back in July 2019. Everyone had been drinking one evening. A few returned to Barar's room that he shared with others at the Pan Pacific Mountainside Hotel. The female officer testified that Barar made her a drink but it was too strong so she only took a sip. She said she felt instantly ill and threw up in the bathroom. When she returned to the living room, everyone had gone back to their rooms, weeping, she said Barar pulled out the sofa bed. The rest? is foggy. She says she woke up during the alleged assault and told him to stop. Somehow she managed to stumble out of the hotel and go home. She doesn't know how she was able to drive along the Sea to Sky Highway for 45 minutes without crashing. The next day she felt like she had woken up from surgery drugs. She took a plan B because she didn't know if they actually had intercourse. She went in for a rape kit and reported the incident to RCMP. Weeks later they met at a Starbucks where the conversation was recorded. He said they had both passed out. He felt her nuzzle against him, and they started kissing. Defense questioned her memory from that night, suggesting she had reconstructed some events inaccurately. Four days had been set aside for this trial and Barrar is currently on suspension. In North Vancouver, Grace Key, Global News. Well, BC's police watchdog has been called in to investigate the shooting of a suspect in
0: Prince George. The RCMP say an officer was conducting an investigation near 15th Avenue and Victoria Street around 7 this morning when an altercation ensued with a male who ended up suffering a serious gunshot wound. The independent investigations office is now investigating the shooting. RCMP are not saying why they were initially called out to the area. A story we first told you about last week has taken a serious turn. The woman who allegedly stabbed another woman in a courtroom at B.C. Supreme Court in Vancouver is now charged with attempted murder. The 53-year-old appeared in court today
15: and our Rumina was there as well. We can't go into specific details about what happened during Katherine Shen's court appearance Monday afternoon because of a publication ban. But what we can tell you is the initial charge of aggravated assault has now been upgraded to attempted murder, the most serious of the four counts Shen is facing. It was a vicious attack, Crown counsel told the court last week. Shen struck the complainant with a hammer and stabbed her multiple times in courtroom 32 in the Supreme Court law building, Bernie Wolf said on Friday. She very nearly killed the complainant. One of the stab wounds cut the pulmonary vein connecting the heart and lung. The attack, driven by personal animosity of an extreme temperature, Crown concluded. According to sources, a woman walked into the courthouse with a fish knife and a hammer in her purse last Tuesday. A contempt of court hearing set to begin at 10 a.m. in an ongoing civil suit between Catherine Shen and Jing Liu. The women, both in their 50s, barely know each other. They've been engaged in a verbal war on social media for over a decade, according to court documents. Lou has just been released from hospital. Last week, Shen told the judge Lou was spreading lies, so she had to, quote, stop her. The incident has sparked concerns over public safety at Supreme Court in Vancouver given security checks, are not mandatory for everyone entering the building. The Attorney General's office is now reviewing what, if any, changes may be made. Shen remains in custody. Her next court appearance is June 14th. Romina Dea, Global News. Still to come, the waterfront arena where we
0: won the Stanley Cup.
2: I wish someone would have grabbed the brick from the building or, gra- or kept the seat.
0: The state of the art facility that hardly anyone knows about. But first, pandemic recovery south of the border. How Americans are moving closer to normal life.
14: As the evening commute winds down over at the Patello Bridge, traffic is steady on all routes, but watch out for a crash on the Surrey side on Highway 17 and Old Yale Road a new charitable partnership between Kermat Cares for Kids and Surrey Memorial Hospital, when you choose Kermat Collision and Autoglass, you also support the Surrey Memorial Children's Health Center. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center.
0: The unofficial start to summer in the US looks sharply different from how Canadians celebrated it last weekend. This American long weekend brought with it sure signs of pandemic recovery as vaccine numbers slowly increase. And as Global's Reggie Cicchini reports, it's giving Americans a chance to fall back into the habits of a life they used to know. For the first
7: time in more than a year, Americans are coming out of a long weekend more confident than fearful.
4: I'm so glad we're almost back to normal.
7: Expanded freedoms come as COVID cases sink to the lowest numbers since March of 2020 and vaccine numbers rise. 40% of the entire population is now fully vaccinated.
11: Real relief and celebration to be able to be outside again and feel safe.
7: With fewer restrictions in place, there's a renewed sense of optimism about a return to normal and more opportunities to reconnect with those who've been kept apart.
8: It's like there's an energy now. Everybody's so excited to be out.
7: But with so many people still unvaccinated, there are concerns when it comes to growing crowd sizes.
9: This is the Indianapolis 500.
7: 135,000 people packed into the Indianapolis Speedway this weekend, the largest sporting event since pre-pandemic. And to give the vaccine program a boost, an on-site clinic. Pretty cool, yeah. Just to say that I was vaccinated at the Indy 500... Also crowded are the country's airports. Last Memorial Day, they were ghost towns as fears of COVID spread kept people home. This year, 37 million people headed out, mostly by car, but nearly 6 million passed through airports over the three-day weekend. Giving families a chance to close up the distance that separated them for what feels like a lifetime.
0: It's been over a year since we've seen them.
7: For many Americans, this Memorial Day is a somber reminder of the sacrifices made by so many. Duty. Honor. Country. They lived for it. They died for it. A moment to honor the past and hopefully welcome a brighter future. Reggie Chikini, Global News, Washington.
0: In Health Matters tonight, it's a disorder that starts in the female reproductive system, but it can affect a woman's entire body. It's called polycystic ovarian syndrome, and not a lot is known about it, despite the fact that it can drastically increase the risk of potentially
12: serious
13: disease.
11: Can you just hold your breath for just a few seconds?
12: Katie Linton is having her heart and blood vessels checked for signs of disease. At 25 years old, she seems young for cardiovascular issues, but she has polycystic ovarian syndrome, PCOS.
11: On the surface, it looks like, yeah, superficial. It doesn't look like anything important, but
12: on the inside, it's very important. PCOS causes the ovaries to overproduce male hormones. That interferes with egg production, but the condition affects a lot more than fertility. It's also associated with overweight, obesity, and also altered insulin glucose levels. And so this puts them at higher risk for diabetes and heart disease up to double the risk of heart disease and quadruple for diabetes. Dr. Donna Vine's research team has already shown teens and young women with PCOS have elevated blood cholesterol levels. Now they're looking for other early signs to try to prevent severe illness during this lifelong disease. At each life stage you have different symptoms, different disease risk, different health conditions. Laura Wailanik is 38. She was able to have two kids with fertility treatments, but her battle with PCOS is nowhere near over. You're
16: ending up with diabetes, you're ending up with, you know, additional hirschism issues with excess of hair growth. You're, you know, constantly battling obesity.
12: Right now, testing for heart issues isn't part of standard care for PCOS patients. Both study participants say they're happy to help increase knowledge for future patients.
16: I have an eight-year-old daughter and I'd be able, like to be able to say to her, okay, so when we get to that point in puberty and at that stage of your life, we have to talk about these things.
11: The more awareness we have now, the better help there will be for people later.
0: Up next, cleaning up BC's coastline.
1: There was six companies looking for things to do.
0: How the pandemic presented a perfect opportunity for sideline tour operators. And later in sports, getting back to business at BC Place. The plan to welcome fans back inside the stadium. The pandemic has helped provide a big boost for BC's coastal environment in a rather roundabout way. As Kylie Stanton reports, small tour operators who would normally be showing off our wilderness areas to tourists are staying afloat by cleaning up the coastline.
13: Just trying to make sense of it all. These entangled nets, just one piece of the marine debris collected so far. And this is the rest. More than 100 tons and counting.
1: It's everything from tires, polyethylene rope. There's nylon uh, rope as well. All sorts of different kinds of fishing floats. uh, Some hard plastics, some styrofoam. I was astounded how quickly it was accumulating.
13: The Marine Debris Removal Initiative is the largest cleanup of its kind on BC's north coast, operating under the province's Clean Coast Clean Waters Initiative Fund. We
18: cut them into about 12 foot lengths.
13: The project, now in its second year, was conceived at the outset of the pandemic, a way for the Small Ship Tourism Operators Association to weather lost revenue.
2: You know, we... Just consider ourselves fortunate, so fortunate to be able to do this
3: two years in a row. It's literally kept the company alive.
13: In 2020, using a grant of $3.5 million, the operators were able to hire back 111 people while employing another 69 in the Indigenous coastal communities they were working in. Now they're at it again, this time with some light at the end of the tunnel that also seems to be shedding some light on the problem.
2: A lot of our guests are seeing... What we're doing and they just love reading about it um in fact some guests have said can we be part of that next year so it may be a new tourism uh that we do beach cleanup
13: the good news up to 80 percent of what's collected here is set to be recycled But so much of it, including the nearly 50,000 plastic water bottles collected so far, shouldn't be ending up here in the first place. Crazy world we live in. The expedition is only at the halfway mark. But given the magnitude of the problem, there's a good chance this won't be the last trip.
1: There's no question that there is more debris here to be cleaned up for many years to come.
13: Kylie Stanton, Global News. Well, let's
0: bring in meteorologist Christy Gordon for a look at our weather forecast. Uh, Looks like a pretty decent
17: day out there today, Christy. Although I've been stuck inside mostly. Mm -hmm. Sorry to hear that, Sophie, you're exactly right. It has been gorgeous, but hot. So if you don't like the heat, it's been tough. And tonight, it's not going to cool down much at all, about 14, 15 degrees overnight. Good time to remind everyone, never leave children and pets inside a car, even with the window cracked. In just 10 minutes, the temperature inside the car can skyrocket to dangerous levels. And we are going to see temperatures even away from the water in that 30-degree mark. So we're talking about a quick jump to 42 degrees, as you can see there. Here's that transition so these are the temperatures near the water 24 tomorrow and Wednesday we will have some humidity just like we did as well today so that means the feels like our humidex level will be closer to 27 tomorrow and Wednesday and for Abbotsford regular temperature 28 feeling closer to 31, 32 so two hot sunny days on the way and that's the case in through the central Okanagan region but you probably noted the big drop in temperature that we're expecting into the weekend so massive change so get your uh, get your enough sunshine and heat or your enjoyment out of the way because we're certainly in for a change and it is going to impact the rivers and streams. So we'll be tracking this closely as we approach the weekend because of this big warm-up. We'll start to see some melt in those higher uh, elevation regions. So we'll be tracking uh, an increase in the rivers and streams. No watches and warnings in effect at this time. Rainfall across the north and central coast but everywhere else across the province tomorrow we're talking about sunshine and heat well above seasonal temperatures and don't forget that humidity will play uh, a role not only tomorrow but on Wednesday as well with humidex levels away from the water up to 32. But there's the change. Saturday, only 18 degrees as a high. And by Sunday, by the way, we're only going to warm up to 14. So a big change on the way. I thought this was appropriate, Sophie. A beautiful orange sunset looking out over Kamloops. This was mm-hmm. from last night.
0: Definitely appropriate. Thanks for that, Christy.
17: All right. Squire uh, is here Are we going to get to
0: go see an actual game in
9: person soon, Squire? One of these days this year, you're going to see games at BC Place and Rogers Arena. That is my prediction. (laughs) Uh, And BC Place is getting ready to invite people back to their building this year.
11: We really reimagined BC Place and reimagined the way that we do things.
9: We'll get a look at what they are planning to do before fans are allowed back in
0: also ahead vancouver won a stanley cup there but today you'd never know the denman arena ever existed the forgotten rink later twitter's got the leaf blowers out
9: <laughs> <laughs> i like it's just that joke
0: after joke after i know joke after
9: joke on all the across right canada except in toronto those jokes would not work in the gta Uh, There is no joy in Toronto. The mighty Maple Leafs have struck out. Toronto has lost in the first round or last year in the uh, play-in round five years in a row. And with a pretty good team, I might add. And this time they blew a 3-1 series lead against their most hated rivals of all, the Montreal Canadiens. No scoring in the first, second period. The former Giants leader. Brendan Gallagher scores. That made it 1-0. And then Montreal would strike on a power play, but not before the hero of the Habs win in this series made his presence felt. Great save by Carey Price. He made 29 saves. Didn't allow a goal until late in the game. This is a power play, and this is a shot by Nick Suzuki. It goes in off Corey Perry. So that made it two to nothing, and in the third, with the goalie pulled, Toronto they had 550 frontline workers in for this game, but they saw the Leafs get eliminated. Last goal by Tyler Toffoli from Montreal. Toronto would score one more, but they're out. It's Montreal and Winnipeg now. Women's number two seed Naomi Osaka has pulled out of the French Open after she was fined and threatened with harsher sanctions. ...if she continued to avoid interviews before and after matches. She said her withdrawal is the best thing for her, the best thing for the tournament... ...and she also wants to take some time away from tennis. Bianca Andrescu was number six at the French Open... ...taking on 85th-ranked Tamara Zinancic Meantime. of Slovenia. First set, it was close, but Andrescu pulled it out seven to six. Second set, also close. This entire match was close. It lasted three hours and 20 minutes... And Andrescu would lose the second set, 7 6. In the third set, Andrescu would lose 9 7. She made 63 unforced errors in this match. She will now enter some grass court events and get ready for Wimbledon. BC Play Stadium has not had fans in it for a sporting event, I believe, since the Rugby Sevens last March. Now, the Whitecaps did play three games there last year in September, but without fans. So BC Place is now getting ready for when people are allowed back in, maybe this year.
11: We're really looking forward to the time when we can invite people back into the building. Um, our number one priority is to always do so safely and make sure that our guests and our staff are you know, um, always safe when they come into this building.
18: In the very near future, BC Place will once again welcome fans and events inside the stadium and when it does, it'll be a touchless experience the moment you walk through the doors, beginning with your ticket being scanned from your phone.
10: So we've gone uh, totally touchless for entries, um, and we start here, obviously, with our, our metal detectors on the outside. People bringing in uh, bags and things will be checked outside. They'll come in with these uh, new newest edition of metal detectors, Jay. Uh, they don't have to take their keys, their, uh, their phones, their change out of their pockets. They can walk right through which really increases our flow rates and getting people into the building. And for the most part, we don't have to search them or anything like that.
18: That hands-off approach continues throughout the building. All concession purchases will be cashless transactions using debit or credit card. And right now, the inside of BC Place is spotless. It's as if Mr. Clean has been flexing his muscles and pushing his mop non-stop around BC Place since the beginning of the pandemic. And the reality is, that's not too far from the truth.
11: We actually have uh, achieved our GBAC, so it's the Global Bio-Risk Advisory Council um, accreditation, so the GBAC Star accreditation, and that um, is uh, an accreditation which focuses on the sanitization and cleanliness of a venue. So what will happen is after each event, um, you know, we will sanitize all of the seats. Uh, we'll use a electrostatic mister to mist all of the seats. Um, all of the high touch points will be cleaned every a minimum of every two hours. So cleanliness is at the forefront. The preliminary plan come
18: August is four to 5,000 fans for a BC Lions game sitting in pods of four to six people. If all goes well, seating capacity will increase. Same for the number of events BC Place will host. This from a venue that normally has 200 days of the calendar
2: yearbook solid. On the horizon, we can see hopefully the opportunity to what, is, uh, what I would see is reintroducing that quality of life. It's bringing families together, it's experiencing
4: the kind of magic moments that are really the memories that last a lifetime, and, uh, and yeah, just, just delivering that quality of life that we're, all, that we're all looking forward to enjoying again.
9: And this is the Arena Show today
0: it sure is just uh want to mention that bc place and rogers arena will be lit up orange tonight in honor of the survivors and victims of residential schools so you'll be able to to see that tonight nice acknowledgement by them uh speaking of arenas at the corner of denman and georgia in downtown vancouver a piece of almost forgotten hockey history squire has that story next Denman and Georgia is a very busy intersection now. It is. A lot has changed.
9: But it always was a busy intersection. I guess. For a very different reason (laughs) back in, as we like to say, the day. Vancouver never won a Stanley Cup at the Coliseum. And of course, it hasn't won a Stanley Cup at Rogers Arena yet. But it did win one here at Georgia and Denman, which is now, as you can see, grass and a parking lot.
10: Well, I'm standing approximately uh, where Yesenia used to be for the uh, the arena, the Vancouver Arena, or the Georgia Street Arena. We call it today the Denman, uh, Denman Arena, yeah.
9: The Denman Arena, which was never its official name, was built in 1911 by the Patrick family, and it was one of the best arenas in the world.
2: Um, It was one of the first in North America. It was the largest in North America at the time. It changed sport in Vancouver because suddenly you could schedule things. You could say, we're going to have this game on this day, and you could schedule it months in advance, and you 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 could draw a crowd for it.
9: They had a capacity of 10,500, plus they could squish in another 500. Which is exactly what they did in 1915 when the Vancouver millionaires played Ottawa at the arena for the Stanley Cup, where the best seats in the house were $1.25. There were people lined up trying to get get in, and they couldn't get in. There were people calling out from the windows what the score was, and if anybody had scored, and they'd be going cheering outside. And they cheered Vancouver to a sweep of the best of five series. But when it was over, there was no Stanley Cup to hand out. Ottawa was so confident they wouldn't lose. As you probably know, they didn't bring the Stanley Cup with them. Despite that, the millionaire's name is forever etched on the cup. But what didn't last forever was the arena itself, completely destroyed by a fire in 1936 that burned a lot of its history with it. For example, there are no photos of hockey games at Denman. Only things like this World War One victory celebration. The arena was holding lots
10: of equipment, lots of documents, lots of uh, sort of the... Uh,
2: the evidence of its existence was burned down with the arena. I, I always called Denman the ghost because we know a lot about it, but there's no artifacts. There's there's just scraps for for such a, an important facility for such a uh, you know at, at its time it was the biggest thing in the city for sport. There's just nothing that's left, and I wish someone would have grabbed a brick from the building or, gra- or kept a seat from the, the from the the, uh, the arena, um, but no one did and so we're kind of left with these you know these just these rare glimpses into what that arena was like
0: if only we'd had smartphones back the
9: day. <laughs> those those pictures of a fire were actually from the Demon arena fire i should mention
0: we need to rebuild that arena and improve our chances for a stanley cup run
9: that's a good idea there's good karma there
0: a quick word
17: on the weather weather to say good night yeah hot and sunny over the next two days and then it's going to get cold into the weekend alright that's it for us have a good night all, thanks for watching